Lord, welcome to a four-week series that I have called. I've been planning this for months. I have called it That Church. I'm excited about it. Can you tell? I'm excited about That Church. Amen. Uh, I, I'm, I've been planning this for months. Uh, the Spirit deposited this in me even back in the wintertime, but I've been preparing for these four messages. I'm excited about it. I'm going to have to stick to my notes this morning because I want to preach so bad that I'll be out there walking the backs of pews and stuff. And then if I, get, if I do that, I got, a lo- I got a long introduction. I got to introduce four weeks worth of messages in, in one sermon. So I, I have to stay tethered to this to this podium up here, so don't you preach me too hard, because you know when I get excited, I can't control myself. So, Pastor, what do you mean by that church? Well, whenever you say something about going to church, most of the time, the first question somebody asks you is, oh yeah, where do you go? And if you tell them that you go to a church, like Promise of Victory, it's likely you'll hear, oh, you go to that church. Now, when they say that, what they mean depends on their impression. And their impression is usually not based on any personal experience. It's usually based on something that they have heard through someone else. So sometimes they mean it in a negative way. Oh, you go to that church. Uh Sometimes it's because they've heard good things about it. And they say, oh, you go to that church. I've been hearing about that church. I've been thinking about trying out that church. But they have formed an opinion, usually without any real evidence. So in the next four weeks, I want to embrace being that church. I, I want us to start being thankful that God has allowed us to be that church. See, when you're that church, it means that you're not like all the other churches. When they say something like, oh, you go to that church, they could say, oh, you go to church, and they lump all the churches together. But the fact that they single us out and call us that church tells me that we're not like all the other churches that they have heard and seen. Amen. We've got a couple of core beliefs around here at Promise of Victory, two of which are the most prominent and the most important that we uh, have structured our ministry around. We are uncommonly kind, and we are intentionally connected. And, and we do these things because we want to strive to be a church where when you hit the door, love meets you at the door. This is what we strive to be. We want you to discover your purpose, and we want you to go out and make a difference in the world. That's what we train you to do here on Sundays. I don't just get up and tell stories out of the scriptures about who built a boat in the middle of a desert. I try to, God has always anointed my ministry to be life applicable. So when you leave this room, you're able to chew on what what it was you heard and apply it to your life. So for the next few weeks, we're going to explore being that church and what it means to me because I have the microphone. And what being that church means to the pastor and hopefully what it's going to mean to you too. So the next time somebody asks you, oh, you go to that church, you can dig your heels into the floor, you can square your jaw and puff out your chest and say, that's right, I go to that church. I go to that church and be proud to say, that's where I go. Amen. So our intention is to flip the script on this phrase. 
that no matter how they mean it, we mean it in this sense. We are that church. Whatever it is that you think about us, come and try us out, and we'll show you that that church is the place to be. Can you give the Lord a hand clap? Amen. Yeah, we want to be the place to be. We want to be that church. But in order to do that, I need to make this a little bit memorable for you. So what I'm planning to do is I'm going to give new meanings to some phrases that people usually don't want to be associated with church. Okay? So the next four weeks, these sermons that I'm going to be preaching don't sound like what church ought to be about. But we're going to be about it. Amen. So first of all, let me, let me give you a little history about us. Because most of you don't know. And, and what a phenomenal thing that most of you don't know. This church is 43 years old. And, and, and it was started, now this is the uh, actual fourth location of this church, but only three church buildings because it actually started in a house. And, and, and technically, this is the third church building. But we didn't move into Weirton until November of 2021 because we were over in Coggers, West Virginia. I'm the fifth pastor that this church has had in its history. I'm the longest pastor that this church has had in its history. And those of you that have joined us just since we moved into this building, you would not recognize this church as that church even as long as seven or eight years ago. If, if all you know is promise of victory in this habitation, you, you wouldn't recognize what we used to be when we had Sunday school and Sunday morning and Sunday evening and Wednesday night and I, I was wearing suits and ties and, and we had one door and everybody came in that door and everybody went out that door and it was a little room about the size of this middle section and you knew everybody and, and the mom and them and you knew everybody and their aunties and their uncles and you knew everything about them. It was a room that was so small that when I spoke from the pulpit I didn't need a microphone and when you sat in the back row I could hear everything you said. Uh, it, it feels like I spent more time preaching down there than I ever did from up here. 19 years I preached in that room and I pro preached approximately 3,000 sermons in that one uh, room. And, and if all you know is this place, you wouldn't recognize that place because most of our growth and most of our changes have happened within the last five years. God has been doing a supernatural thing there's no formula to this you can't write books about it you you can't put it down on pen and paper about why or how and structure it because this is the hand and the work and the workmanship of God it is a miracle so because of that because we're that church we have a history we have a present and we have a bright future we want to stay connected with all three so each week, what I'm going to do is I'm going to invite some families that are going to share what this church, what being part of that church has meant to their family. So this morning we have a, a testimony to share with you. I can't speak to what it has meant to me because it still means the absolute world to me. This place, the people in this place is absolutely amazing. I will say that I was brought here on false pretenses by my aunt who said we were gonna have a short sermon and then a fellowship. I will never fall for that lie again because there was nothing short about it. 
the people that are here, the family that we have come to love, who's come to love us is, I, I can't even put it into words. We have been so blessed. Uh, we have seen blessings. We have seen prodigal sons and daughters come home. We've seen people addicted to drugs get clean. We've seen people who were told they would never have a baby have a baby. Um, and it never fails. If we ever need anything, coming here has taught us just to leave it in God's hands and it'll work out and it always has. The one thing I love more than anything is that I was taught that you don't have to be perfect to come to church and you don't have to be perfect for God to love you. And pastor emphasizes this all the time and it has just made a huge difference in my spiritual walk um, with God. I know I'm still like in preschool when it comes to my spiritual journey, but it has been a wonderful one and I, I want to be here forever. Um, the people here have prayed for us during hard times, have prayed for us during good times, and I just, I cannot thank anybody I ever paid them enough. I, I do, I will all speak on one, I'm probably going to get cut off because I like talking, but there was a time when I was going through something absolutely horrible in my life, and nobody knew about it, and Pastor Amanda texted me and said that I was on her mind and she knew something was wrong, and I just... I just cried and cried and cried. That's how anointed she is, and that's also how anointed Pastor is. We came at a time in the church when we were lucky enough that it was still small and everyone could get to know each other. Um, so the relationships with the congregation and pastoral family are a little different than others. But Promise of Victory Church is not a church. It is a home. But we have been beyond blessed. Um, so we just want to say that we love all of you. And it's going to sound corny because I know Israel says it every single morning. Whether you come once or a thousand times, you are family. <laughs> and we mean that. We love our congregational family. We love our pastoral family. And like I said, that's exactly what this is. This is home. Do you have something to say? That's what I was going to say. Oh. <laughs> oh. Phyllis, Eric just gave you some marriage counseling. Whatever you said was what I was going to say. You didn't even know that he was in a marriage seminar, but he just gave you, he just saved you about $400 worth of therapy right there. Just, just learned it. Whatever you was going to say, that was what I was going to say. Uh, I, I, I already know what it sounds like in that house. Amen. If you've got a Bible this morning, we're going to be going first to the book of Acts chapter 1. We're going to go over to Acts chapter 17 at the conclusion of this message. And we're going to be looking at the very first church this morning. You want to talk about that church? There was no other. Uh, uh, there was there was no other option. There was nothing else to compare it to. When we talk about that church, we're going to talk about the one that Jesus started when he went back to heaven, and he left the disciples in charge of starting something that nobody had ever seen before. 
There was no example. There was no manual. There were no uh, conferences to go to for church growth. There was nowhere for them to turn to to get anybody's advice. They were used to going to synagogues, but they had never seen anything like the church before. So I'm going to introduce you to a word that I'm going to use throughout this series, okay? They were abnormal. Huh? And we're that church. We're that abnormal church. When people say that something is abnormal, what do they mean? They mean it's not what I expected. It's not like anything I've ever seen before. Promise of victory, we're that abnormal church. It's not what people expect when they come in the door. As a matter of fact, why don't you look at your neighbor and just tell them a little bit. Just look them in the eyes and say, you might be a little abnormal. Uh-huh. So we need a blueprint. We don't know what being that church means, so we need a blueprint. So let's go to the book of Acts. Now, it's called in your Bible the Acts of the Apostles, but what it really could have been called was the Acts of the Holy Ghost, building a church through the Apostles, because that's really what was going on. It was written by Luke. Luke wrote the Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He wrote the Gospel, and a lot of theologians actually consider Acts part two of his Gospel. And that's why in Acts chapter 1, verse 1, it starts like this. Luke says, the former account I made. That's his gospel. He's saying, the gospel of Luke, he said, that's the former account that I made. The, the thing I wrote first, which was my gospel. He said, and he's writing it to a person called Theopolis. And he says, the former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus, pay attention to this phrase, of all that Jesus began, say began, he began both to do and to teach. Jesus began teaching. Jesus began doing. He wrote about it in his gospel. He's going to continue writing about it in this book of Acts. But Jesus began it, and the reason he's writing this book is because he expects somebody else to finish it. The book of Acts is about the people who was called the church picking up where Jesus left off and completing the doing and the teaching. Somebody say amen. So if I was to ask you to turn over to Acts chapter 29, you couldn't because it's not in there. Acts chapter 28 ends rather abruptly. It almost seems like he wasn't done with his pen because it ends so sharply. But I believe it's because we are writing Acts 29 right, now, right here and right now. That it's our generation that is actually writing this new book, this new chapter, this, this abnormal, this, 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 this not like all the other chapters that have already been written. Can, can I get somebody that, that's on board with me this morning? Because uh, I, I'm writing some chapters and I'm looking forward to writing some with you. Uh, some abnormal chapters like families being put back together, like, like, like 
addicts being set free and cleansed, like, like, like people finding real freedom in Christ, uh, people that's not perfect realizing I don't have to be perfect to be his. That, that I, I'm talking about abnormal chapters that most churches don't ever talk about, like come on in the way you are because God found you like that, loves you like that. He'll do something with you. He'll turn your life around, and he'll put you on another path. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm looking forward to writing some abnormal chapters, like people with different backgrounds, people with different skin tones, people from different economic backgrounds, standing together, holding hands together, praying with one another, worshiping one God, no matter what we look like on the outside, we're His on the inside. That's abnormal. The society says that can't happen. We're that church. We're that church where we don't judge you based on where you've been, but where you're heading to. We're that church. Mm -hmm. Now, the early church looked drastically different than church does today. When you read about the early church, you'll find out that a lot of the things that I love and appreciate about church was absent, like air conditioning. I love some air conditioning. Now, I grew up poor. And we had conditioned air. We didn't have air conditioning. We had conditioned air, which means whatever condition it was outside was the same condition on the inside. So, so we had screen doors. The door would always be open. The screen would be open. And we would have a window in the back of the house up. Mom called it creating a draft. I think Mom was going a little senile because I never felt no draft. I did see a bunch of flies come in and out the window. They had a parade route that came all the way through the house. But I never did feel no draft. Mom had convinced herself that a draft would come through. But when there ain't no wind on the outside, I don't know how you create a draft. But that's the way we, we grew up, and I love some air conditioning. I will preach louder just to get over top of the air that is blowing out of these walls. I'll just get louder, sing louder, clap louder, whatever you got to do. But we're going to leave the blowers on because I've sat in church with the funeral home fans with the picture of Jesus on one side and the hours of operation on the other, and I don't care to go back to that. I love indoor plumbing. I love some air conditioning. I like padded pews. I like carpet on the floor, and I love to be able to push a button and flush. Call me spoiled. But I call on me Jesus. I, 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 love, I love some of the modern amenities. Now, the church in the first century didn't have these things. But they also had some stuff I'd like to get back. Like they had the power of God. They had lives being marvelously transformed because they came into contact with God's Holy Spirit in the place. They also became the driving force in society. And I wish to God that the church once again would knuckle down and decide we're not going to conform to the world, but rather we're going to impact the world because that's what the first century church did. What makes a church abnormal? Glad you asked. Abnormal folks. Abnormal people. That's what you pointed me for. According to what I read in the Bible, what most people consider abnormal today is completely normal to God. And so, what happens is when a church becomes normal with God, all the other churches thinks it's abnormal because the church has lived so below normal for so long 
When we come up to normal, everybody thinks it's abnormal. So I'm going to proudly wear the moniker that we're that church because we're not going to be like everybody says the church should be. We're going to follow the Holy Ghost and see things nobody else has seen. My God in heaven. So for the next few weeks, we're going to see some of the traits of having an abnormal church. And you ready for me to introduce this morning's message? All that's introduction. It's free. You didn't pay me for that. You ready for me to introduce this morning's message? This morning, we're going to learn that the church, I told you we're going to use some phrases that most people don't want to associate with the church, but we're going to, we're going to spin this thing. The church needs some troublemakers. Now somebody, somebody giggled way too hard at that because you're like, I found my place. Some of you right there thought I called you into ministry. He said, troublemakers, that's me and you, girl. Let's go. Acts chapter 17, verse 6. The apostles kept getting arrested. Keep that in mind. I'm going to come back to it. They keep getting arrested. And verse 6, they're talking about these two preachers that they arrested, Paul and Silas. Now notice they're not desperados. They're not bank robbers. They're preachers. And here's how they described them. Paul and Silas have caused trouble all over the world, they shouted. And now they are here disturbing our city too. Another translation says it like this. These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Now it might seem abnormal, but I'm just going to go ahead and tell you that the church needs some troublemakers. I'm going to go one step further. Most preachers aren't bold enough to say something like this from the pulpit because somebody will clip this out on the internet and make it sound like I said something I didn't say. But dare I say, it's time for the church to quit getting offended and for the church to become offensive. Yeah, I knew it would be a little golf clap right there. Hang on a minute. i got to go find my amen. I forgot to put one in my pocket this morning. Okay. I can finish the rest of this message. Jesus decided to bring people that were flawed into the ministry and build his church. And he used people like Peter. Now I can imagine, because i got a crazy imagination, I can imagine Jesus taking this idea to Shark Tank. Anybody like to watch Shark Tank? I used to watch it back in the day. And if he took this idea to Shark Tank, he'd say, see, here's my idea. I'm going to start a worldwide movement where people can come and find all the answers to every question they have. They can find freedom from all their bondages and healing from all their pain. They're going to do life together. They're going to love each other. They're even going to love enemies and people that don't love them back. Now, this is a long-term plan because it's going to be passed down from generation to generation, and it's going to outlive everybody who starts it. And by the way, it'll never go broke, it'll never fail, it'll never fall apart, and it'll never go out of business. And I could just imagine one of the Shark Tank people asking, oh yeah, well who's going to build it? Oh, I got some guys I trained myself. Um, they've never had to do it without me before. The leader is a fisherman who's got anger issues, a sharp tongue, 
and likes to run away when things get hard. And they would tell Jesus, have you lost your mind? This is never going to work. Because Peter's going to cuss out a little girl. Peter's going to deny ever knowing Jesus. Peter's going to cut a dude's ear off because he had bad aim because he was trying to chop his whole head off. Peter is a troublemaker. Don't you understand, Jesus? You can't start a church. You can't start something to be successful with somebody who's a troublemaker. And for all intents and purposes, the church should have never stood a chance of survival, much less thriving. But Jesus told us something in Matthew 16 and verse 18. He told Peter, on, your, on you, Peter, you're my rock, and I will build my church. And after I build my church, the gates of hell will never prevail against it. Now, can I tell you that people have all kinds of ideas and opinions and feelings about the church in general, not just promise of victory, but about the church in general. And some of their opinions are bad. Some of their opinions are ugly. And it's not because of Jesus, because Jesus has never failed anybody. Can I tell you why people's got a bad taste of the church? It's because the church has been shaped by a couple hundred years of human management. We took what God gave us and messed it up. We haven't been perfect. When we say that we're that church, we're not claiming to be a perfect church. Because if you ever find that perfect church, please don't go there. You will mess the whole thing up. So let them be. If they're perfect, let them be. But don't you dare go in there and contaminate that place. The Bible says we are the church. That's a compound word called ecclesia. It means the ones who are called out. In other words, the church is not like everybody else. Somebody say amen. We are people who are called out from the world around them for what? For God's purposes. So there's two passages of Scripture that spell out Jesus' will for the church. Here it is. Matthew 22, he says you've got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Then what did he say? And the second is like the first, you must love your neighbor as yourself. Then the second thing that he built his church on, the second truth he built his church on was Matthew 28, 19 and 20. He says, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey the commandments I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. He said, you're going to love each other, you're going to love God, and you're going to love people. And you're going to go around carrying this message and carry out God's plan. You, the church, are here to carry out God's plan. And that has to go beyond going to ball games and holding up a sign that says John 3.16. He's not going to use angels. He's not going to use the Old Testament saints coming back from the dead. He's going to use you. You abnormal rascal, you. He is going to use the likes of you. Every one of you that have surrendered to God, he wants to use you to tell the world that he is alive. How crazy did God have to be to use the likes of you? Not just you, but the likes of me. How crazy was it for God to set a plan in motion that a, 
that an entity was going to exist for 2,000 years up to this point. Built on people like Peter and you. And he says, you, you love God with all your heart, all your might, all your strength. You love him, love each other, and then go tell everybody. Just, just go and tell everybody, and that's what I'm going to build my church on. And he says, I will make you a living witness for me. You know how weird it is for him to call you a witness? Because here's, here's the thing. The legal terminology about a witness says this. I was an eyewitness to what happened. None of you look quite old enough. I'm looking for some 2,000-year-old folks. Anybody... None, none of you look quite old enough to have been an eyewitness to what Jesus did. So when he calls you to be a witness, it's a strange thing for him to say, you're going to be a witness to the nations because none of us were there when Jesus did what he did. A witness has a personal, first-hand knowledge of something. It's abnormal for us to tell people that we are a witness. It's abnormal for you to tell people you know Jesus because none of you are quite that old. However, all you got to do is take a look at these testimonies on this screen. All you got to do is listen to the testimony coming through this microphone. All you got to do is look to your left and your right behind you and in front of you and you will find testimonies about what Jesus is doing in people's lives. Hey, I wish I had a witness in this church. Listen, what a witness tells you is that I have seen what Jesus has done. And some of you sitting under the sound of my voice know good and well, had it not been for the Lord on your side, you would not have made it to this. Some of you under the sound of my voice know you are a witness to his miracle working power because had it not been for him snatching you out of your depravity and pulling you up out of your addiction and saving you from your sins and your debauchery and your sickness that you are addicted to, you know good and well you wouldn't be here today. You know that if Jesus wasn't alive, you wouldn't be either. So we're witnesses of the goodness of God. And if that's you, give him a hand clap of praise. Hallelujah. So the church has done some things well in 2,000 years, and we have been terrible at some things. Week four of this series, I'm going to give you some church history. We've done some things terrible, and there's a reason that people don't like the church. There's a reason. There's a reason the church is flawed. I'm going to give you that secret sauce. Because the church is a reflection of the people that go there. So when we badmouth the church, we're actually badmouthing ourselves because the church is just a large collection of a lot of smaller houses. In other words, if the small houses that comes into the big house are clean, then the big house will be clean. But if the small houses that gather in the big house is bringing some mess with them, ain't no wonder some mess turns up in the big house. Uh-huh. So, so, so we've done some beautiful things. When we are surrounded, uh, surrendered to the power and the influence of the Holy Spirit, we are a beautiful thing. But when we're governed by pride and selfishness and the flesh, we can really make a mess. So I'm going to tell you this morning why we're that church, why we're abnormal. In 2022, our culture 
puts a lot of pressure on people who won't go with the flow and accept everything that is said. But we're going to raise up in Promise of Victory some offensive troublemakers because we are an abnormal church. And abnormal churches are not afraid to bow. But there's only one name that we're willing to bow down to. See, the world around us is trying to pressure everyone to bow down to culture, to bow down to inclusivity, to bow down to progressive ideology. But there's only one name under heaven and earth to every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess. And that name is the name above every other name. And an abnormal believer knows that if I will bow down to Jesus, I can stand up in front of every evil and declare his righteousness see abnormal churches cause trouble this is the rest of my sermon abnormal churches cause trouble we're troublemakers because we have something the world don't like you ready for this it's called integrity the world does not like us to have honesty and sincerity and to have something that we believe in they want us to let them tell us what to believe. But verse 4, Luke tells us that Paul's preaching was successful in Thessalonica. There's an important message that you will miss if you don't know about Thessalonica because the world in that time was a world of incomparable immorality. They, they, they had slaves and they practiced slavery. Sexual perversion was rampant even in public places, even in places called worship centers. Human life was cheap. Pleasure was the most important thing that they had. Does that sound like a day that you're living in? And then the church comes along and says, that's not the way we're supposed to live. We're supposed to have integrity. And integrity in that day was abnormal. Integrity in this day is abnormal. And if you're going to be a believer in Christ Jesus and believe what this book teaches, you're going to be hated because you're going to be a troublemaker. Because when people tell you that you got to go along just to make peace, some of you are going to say, no, 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 that's not what this book says. This manual that God gave me for my living says that I can't go with the flow. I'm going to have to, I'm going to, have to reasonably object that that is not the way that we're supposed to be doing things. We're supposed to be doing things according to this scripture. And they're going to call you a troublemaker. Blessed be the troublemakers, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. No wonder they called them troublemakers. They were challenging the culture to turn away from what feels good to what thus saith the Lord. I remember when I first got into church 25 years ago, and people were going nuts on each other, Christian people, over what version of the Bible was the right one. And you've got different camps. You've got the King James only camp, and you've got the other camps, and, and everybody. And they were screaming at each other, and I was a new Christian. And I was listening to them insult each other and hurt each other's feelings and talk about each other's reputations. And to my mind, I was thinking, you guys are fighting over a book it didn't sound like any of you ever read. Because... In the book, it doesn't give you license to talk about each other. You're supposed to have integrity. Do you want to know what the best translation of the Bible is? It's you. 
living a life sold out to the Holy Ghost. It's you being in a culture that is cult, that is antiquated and, and, and moving along in a progressive ideology and you being able to say, I'm not going that way because this book has taught me that I have to have integrity. You want to know what the best version of the Bible is? The Bible tells you in 2 Corinthians 3 and 2, you are an epistle written on our hearts, known and read by all men. You, standing in this culture, flat-footed, with a testimony on your lips saying, you might call me a troublemaker, but I'm going to stand for what God says and I don't care what Hollywood or the government or anybody else says. I might be a troublemaker, but I'm going to say what God said. That's the best version. Doesn't matter if it's in King James English or in kindergarten language. Some of us are too saved. Now the Bible tells us that Jesus made a promise that hell won't win. Sometimes it feels like hell's winning. Sometimes it feels like that hell's got the upper hand when you see all the debauchery going on in the world and you see all the attacks and you personally are going through some things and it feels like hell's winning. But Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 and 14, he told Peter, I'm going to build a church on this rock. Powers of hell will never conquer it. And here's what he said. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. If you lose something in heaven, it'll be loose down here on earth. In other words, the picture that is given here is telling us that hell can't win as long as the church is causing some trouble. See, hell can't win as long as we got some troublemakers for Jesus. Because it says whatever you bind will be bound. Whatever you loose will be loose. In other words, this message is not about hell attacking the church. What Jesus was teaching was that the church needs to be going into where hell has and speaking what God says and taking back what the enemy has stolen. Too many churches are running from the devil, but that's not what Jesus empowered us to do. Jesus empowered us to go and snatch back from the gates of hell and say, that don't belong to you. This is my father's. I'm going to be taking that back now. Are there any troublemakers in the house? Yeah, 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 we're, we're, we're that church. See, see, they killed Jesus because he was a troublemaker. He did scandalous things like healing folks on the Sabbath, forgiving people's sins. He showed grace to a woman who got caught in the act of adultery. But the kicker, the one thing they could not tolerate was when he raised Lazarus from the dead. And the minute he raised Lazarus from the dead, they started conspiring to put him on a cross because this troublemaker has went too far. He's helping people. How dare he? He's telling people there's hope. Who's he think he is? He's, he's healing people against our legalism and making them feel better against our laws. How dare he? They labeled him a troublemaker and they murdered him. Over in Acts chapter 12, Peter, 12 and, and verse 5 says, Peter, Peter was kept in prison. These boys are always in prison. Troublemakers, every one of them. They're always in prison. Now, now you got to pay attention because they murdered Jesus and Peter knows it. Peter knew that they killed Jesus. And they've told Peter, we're going to kill you too. It's one thing for you to claim 
If they ever outlaw prayer, I'll just go to jail. Really? Really? They ain't outlawed church attendance yet, and half of them don't make it to church on Sunday. I have a hard time believing that they're going to outlaw prayer, and you're going to be the rebel that's going to stand up with a cause when you can't even get to church now, and it's free. Peter's in prison. But the church was earnestly praying to God, pay attention to this, for I'm going to to break this story down in a minute. You're going to need to know this verse. The church was earnestly praying to God for him. For him who? Peter. For Peter. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. So I got a picture I want to show you that, that's going to illustrate this. Okay, in one place, Peter, where's he at? He's in prison. That wasn't a trick question. He's kept in prison. And the other place, at the same time, what's the church doing? Praying. The reason I want to show you this is because when you're a troublemaker, You don't have to be here to affect what happens here. See, when you're the right kind of troublemaker, you understand that even though you're not in the presence of the person, you don't have to be there, hold the keys, and know all the answers for you to affect what happens there. You can be a troublemaker in another place. And get the job done. Verse 7. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared in the light, shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. And the angel said to him, put your clothes and put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. And Peter picked up, followed him out of the prison. But he had no idea what the angel was doing. And, was re- and what was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards. They passed the first and second guards. They passed the first and the second guards and came up to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it, and they went through it, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him and Peter came to himself he thought he was having a vision then the angel disappeared here he is standing out in the middle of the street with his orange jumpsuit and orange flip flops on do they know I'm gone inmate number act 17 he's standing in the middle of the street thought he was having a vision angel disappears he realizes I'm out of jail. Chains are gone. Guards ain't here. Do they know where I am? And the Bible says, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord was sent His angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. 
When this had dawned on him, he went back to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda. Rhoda's always doing something. She came to answer the door. Who's the church praying for? Peter. Church was praying for Peter. Peter went to church. Knocked on the door. Rhoda came to the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it. And told everybody in church, Peter's at the door. And they said, you're out of your mind. Peter's in prison. Now hush and settle down. We're going to pray for Peter to get out of prison. But Peter's at the door. You're crazy. Hush down. We're busy praying for Peter who's in prison. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, can't be Peter. We're still praying for Peter. You can't make this stuff up. It must be his angel. It can't be Peter. We're praying that Peter would get out of prison. He's in prison. What are you praying for? It can't be Peter. It's got to be his angel. And despite how stupid everybody at church was, Peter kept on knocking. I wonder if there's any people in this room this morning that just kept on knocking. I wonder if under the sound of my voice, if there's any troublemakers that the devil thought he had you locked out. He thought he had you locked up. He thought he had you in a prison. He thought you had yourself incarcerated. But you were so relentless that you just kept on you just kept on knocking that there wasn't nothing happening but you kept on knocking that that you didn't see anything happening but you kept on knocking that it seemed to get worse and not better but you kept on are there any trouble making prayer warriors in the church that even though it don't seem like anybody's hearing me I'm just going to keep on Knocking. Uh, Rome, you have to understand where they're at. Rome is in control. The government is in control. And the church, we're calling it a church, it's barely a church. You know the size of the church based on the fact that they're all meeting in one house. They, they don't have the money the government has. They don't have the power the government has. They don't have the numbers that the government has. And here we are, meeting in houses. The government's got all the power. And the only weapon the church has is prayer. Let's look at this picture again. Because this is what it looks like when you read your Bible. Okay, when you read your Bible, you see both screens at the same time. You know that they're praying. And you know an angel busted Peter out of prison. When you read your Bible, you've got inside information. 
But what I need you to understand this morning is that while they were praying, they had no idea what was happening in prison. Why is that important, Pastor? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because most of the time when you pray, you can't see what's happening in the other room. And that's why you got to make up your mind that even when you don't see no evidence, you're going to keep on praying. Even when it don't look like anything's happening, you're going to keep on praying. Even when it seems like nobody's coming to answer the door, you're going to keep on praying. That is abnormal. People hear you say something like that and think, you're cray-cray. You have lost your mind. It's worse now than when you first started praying. And you're like, yep. But I'm just going to keep on knocking on the prayer walls of heaven until I see something. Peter is in jail. He is their leader. He is their teacher. He is their pastor. So they went to fervent prayer because that's what troublemakers do. Troublemakers don't make posts on Facebook. Troublemakers take their request to God because they know that that's where they get results. Somebody say amen. So let's set the stage because we're that church. And this was not some little polite, quiet, rehearsed prayer that you learned by listening to the pastor or the pastor's wife. No, no, no. This is desperate prayer. This is the kind of prayer where you don't care who hears you. This is the kind of prayer where you don't care if the makeup's running all the way down your face. This is the kind of prayer where you have grabbed a hold of something in the spirit and you have lost control of your body. You will pace the floor. You will run the aisles. You will cry until you have no more tears. You will shout. You will snort. You'll blow snot bubbles out your nose. You will, you will shout so loud that the neighbors will call the cops on you. Why? Because you know that when you get a hold of God, God gets a hold of your sin. Situation, And that's the image I see in a church like this Because you know how we pray when we pray And some of you are a little cray cray And some of you will pray angry And some of you pray fervently And some of you will jump around and holler and leave Jesus tracks on the ceiling And some of you will sing and clap your hands And the Bible says, can I see that picture one more time? The Bible says that while they are shouting and ringing the prayer bells of heaven, Peter is asleep. Do you know how odd it is for Peter to be asleep when they're going to kill him in the morning? Let me first tell you that sleep is faith. One of the first signs that you trust the Lord is that when you can get up against something that should keep you up at night and you are over here like this. Because a lot of folks can't sleep. And God will take you through trouble and you'll be asleep while everybody else is going crazy because you have confidence that God has already got the thing worked out for your benefit. So the Bible says the angel appeared in prison. Let's me know that hell can't make a prison God can't break into. Even yours. And the angel appeared, and this is what he said. This is what he said. Check me out. I read it to you already. Get up. Get your clothes on. You're getting ready to move. 
That's a word for somebody. Get up. Get your clothes on. You are getting ready to move. That, that Somebody needs to snatch that. I just feel it in my spirit this morning. Get up. Get your clothes on. You are getting ready. Where you have been in prison has held you long enough, and it's time for somebody to get mad enough to say, I'm going to get up and get ready. I may not see the opening of the door just yet, but I'm going to believe my God is a deliverer, and he's going to show up any minute now, so let me just go ahead and get dressed and get my God in this. So the angel brought him through. The Bible says the guard was asleep at the first door and the guard was asleep at the second door. And the Bible says that the angel brought him through both doors. Didn't even wake the guard up. That is a quiet deliverance. What, nobody, wasn't, wasn't 70 prayer partners at church. H- have you ever come through something... That was devastating, and then you got out of it, and you wasn't even sure how you got out of it. Like, have you ever been delivered out of something, and you're like, how did, how did I get here? That's what happened to Peter. He brought him through the first door, and they brought him through the second door. And the Bible says that when they got to the gate, which, by the way, would have been this massive structure, It would have usually taken a team of men or horses with a series of pulleys and ropes to get this monstrosity up. And the Bible says that when they got to the gate, everything else they went through. But when they got to the gate, it just opened. They went through some stuff. And once they were through, see, some stuff you just got to go through. And, And it gets you to where you are right then. And then there'll come a day where stuff that you've been praying about for a long time, you don't have to go through it anymore. It's just going to open. It's... See, that's, that, that, that's what happens when you, when you get up under the auspice of his word and his favor. Because favor doesn't look right to everybody else because they ask you stupid questions like, how'd you get that job? It just opened. How, how'd you get that loan? How'd you afford that house? I went through some hell back there, but when I got here, it just opened. See, 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 I'm talking to somebody. Somebody is connecting with this because the world will look at you cockeyed and ask you stupid questions like you understand how you got where you are because they think you're going to say, well, I've got this degree from this college and I've got my MBA and I've studied all. And, and those of you that go to that church and know who that God is and understand that word, you know that you went through some hell because it was preparing you for where you are right now. And when you showed up where you are right now, stuff just starts opening to you and you don't know how you got here but you're just thankful here I am how'd you end up with that promotion I just it just it just it just opened look at your neighbor just don't slap your neighbor but look at your neighbor and say something is about to open we do that something So all of this is happening. All this is happening while the church is praying. But all of this is happening 
while Peter's sleeping. All this is happening while the church is praying, but it's all happening without them knowing it. How do you know they didn't know? Because when Peter showed up, they were still praying. They were praying, and their answer had already happened. But they didn't know. I wonder how much stuff God is doing in your life right now that you don't even know. I wonder how much stuff you're praying about right now and God is moving it and you don't even know. I wonder how much stuff God is fixing in your life and you're praying about it even right now and you don't even know that he's already opened up and got it out and it's waiting on you. The Bible says the angel disappeared and the Bible says that every door that was closed... The church was praying. Say, I, I know I preached a long time, so let me let me let me just draw this in. Say it out loud. Say the church was praying. Uh, so they went through the first door, and what was the church doing? And they went through the second door, and what was the church doing? And they went through the gate, and what was the church doing? And they got to the door and knocked on the door of the church, and what was the church doing? Okay, so prayer opened the first door. And prayer opened the second door. And prayer opened the gate. But when he got to the door of the church, that was the one door prayer wouldn't open. <laughs> Come on, church, we got to do better than this. And, 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 and it's normal, it's normal because it happens to so many people. But the problem with troublemakers are we can't help but keep knocking. Because troublemakers don't get discouraged and quit because we didn't get the answer the first time. So we'll just keep knocking until our knuckles bleed. Because we know if God said it, it's got to come to pass. So Peter's a troublemaker. And prayer opened the first door and prayer opened the second door and prayer opened the gate to the city. But prayer couldn't open this one last door, Rhoda comes up, and through the door she hears Peter's voice. And the Bible says she gets excited. You know how long the church has been praying about stuff, and we've been excited about stuff, but we don't recognize it when... She got excited when she heard Peter's voice. She got excited when she heard his voice. She was so familiar with the thing she was praying for that when it spoke to her, she knew what it was. I wonder how many of you are so familiar with the thing. You've been praying about a thing, but are you familiar with it? If it showed up at your door, would you recognize it? Because I hear people asking for better all the time, but then when better shows up, we reject it because it's not the way we wanted it. So when better comes and knocks, and better comes and knocks, we hear it and we get excited, but we don't... So she runs back and she tells everybody in the church who is hollering and testifying about how good God is and God's going to bring Peter out of prison. And he says, Peter's out of prison. And they say, Peter can't be out of prison because we're praying for Peter to get out of prison. And prayer brought him through the first door and the second door and the city gate. But at some point they had to quit praying and open the door. Because there's some things prayer will bring to you but won't present it to you. You have to open the door. They build prisons to put troublemakers in. 
When they call you a minister society, they build big prisons and they put you inside of it because you're a minister society. And if you cause the devil enough trouble, he'll do the same thing to you. Except he doesn't build his prisons out of blocks and bars and steel. He builds his prisons out of fear and doubt and addiction and lust and envy and manipulation. He builds his prisons out of hatred and jealousy. And he imprisons troublemakers. I came here to tell somebody this morning the very fact that the devil is attacking you so hard ought to tell you that the devil knows that he can't leave you alone because you have been causing so much trouble for the kingdom of darkness. He's afraid that if he lets up on you, you're going to recognize the knock at the door. You're going to recognize that the thing that you've been praying for is is on its way. See, the devil knew that Peter had gotten out of prison. The church didn't know. Rhoda didn't know. The saints didn't didn't know but the devil knew Peter was loose and the devil had done everything he could do to hold Peter in prison and the devil has done everything he could do to keep you in prison he's tried to he's tried to imprison your mind he's tried to take your fear he's tried to use you and, and imprison you with doubt he's tried to get you addicted to things like pornography he's tried to get you addicted to things like alcohol and pills and he's tried to get you addicted to everything like lust and he's understanding that once you get out of prison your blessing is on its way and he's afraid if you hear the knocking you're going to open the door so he's trying to keep you saying to God understand that the reason he's fighting you so bad is because he knows that once you get loose and you get out of your prison he is in for a bad day so I want you all to stand with me all over this building because I need to call some troublemakers I need you to leave this building and go out there and cause some trouble. And the reason some of you can't is because the enemy knows you're a troublemaker. And he knows what you would do if you were ever, if he was ever loose. So he just keeps putting bigger prisons. And some of you. Some of you already know it's you. I don't have to come out there and hunt for you. You know. That's why you're here today. It wasn't an accident. You were ordained for the foundation of the world to be right here to hear this message today. Because God wants you loose from that prison. And the devil has done everything in his power to keep you. But I come to serve notice that he ain't got no power to keep you in prison because there's an angel that's already came and took the shackles off. And there's people praying for you and the prayers have opened the first door and opened the second door and opened the gate. It just opened all by itself because you are prepared for your blessing. God wants to bless you. And now it's come to the point where you got to open the door. Your deliverance is standing at the door. Your freedom is standing at the door. Your victory is standing at the door. Your, your, your overcoming spirit, your healing is standing at the door. And it just keeps knocking. Because troublemakers don't know when to quit. 
and troublemakers don't know how to stop. And it's just knocking. Do you hear it? Is there anybody under the sound of my voice that hears your blessing? And you know it's haunting you at night. You know it's keeping you awake at night because you're asking God, God, when is it my turn? God, when do I get my breakthrough? God, when is my miracle showing up? And I'm here to tell you that God has already sent it. And the prayers of the saints and your prayers have brought you through. And now it's time for you to open the door. And if you're ready this morning to open the door to victory, get up to this altar. Don't wait for me to start pointing you out. Get up to this altar because your victory is knocking. My God in heaven, here come some troublemakers. Here come some troublemakers. Here come some troublemakers. <laughs> Do you know what's going to happen when you get loose? Do you have any idea what's going to happen when you get loose? Woo! How much havoc you're going to cause the enemy when you get free? You need to open your mouth. You need to let hell hear you say you're free. You know you're free. Your blessing is knocking. Your blessing's out the door. Are you willing to open it? You've been